right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Man, we have been just literally uh, plowing through. I haven't got to say that in forever. We're plowing through the scriptures, and uh, we're in the book of Revelation. So when you hear about this book of Revelation, most people, if they were to describe one or two words, end times, scary, judgment, hell, Satan, you throw out all this weird pictures, right? It should really bring you hope, though. It should really bring you uh, a sense of peace and victory. I mean, think about this. The word that we have, the phrase that we have for the book of Revelation is I am. It's describing Jesus uh, as the beginning and the end. And Kevin, if you'd go there, that'd be great. Revelation 1, 7, it says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, meaning the Jewish families as well, and all the families of the earth. They will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. Then it jumps into verse eight. And look what he says. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. In other words, I was there and I'll be here. (laughs) I'm the beginning and the end. The one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Lord Almighty. And then it says in verse 17 as well, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me. He said, don't be afraid. Don't you think that's a picture of revelation though? Think about this. People have this tendency to be nervous about end times. You start talking about the Tim LaHaye, you know, Jerry Jenkins, uh, left behind series and people get nervous like, oh, what if I'm raptured or what if I'm not raptured? And it creates an anxiety. And he, I love the fact that he says, don't be afraid. And he says, I am the first and the last. It's almost like he speaks peace into the situation. I have been here from the beginning and I'll be here till the end. In other words, you have nothing to fear because I'm the one who controls all of this that we're talking about. And so as we've gone through, uh, I mean, six seals, Right. If we've gone through the sixth seal, then we began to unpack. Yes. uh, The seventh seal that was finally broken. We know that Christ is the only one worthy to open up this scroll and all of these, quote unquote, destructions or this world and chaos is brought. I mean, the Antichrist enters the picture. You've got war. You've got economic crisis, famine, people being killed in the martyrdom. And then you have the sun, the moon and the stars, all of those things beginning to change and take place. So as chaos is breaking out, guess what? There's a message of repentance and judgment, judgment and repentance that's being released by two people because God wants clearly, even in this time period, everybody to look to him. You know, you say, well, gosh, I've been following with you. I've been tracking with you. Why do we always summarize? Because I'll be honest, if we don't, it's hard to stay current with what we're reading today. In Revelation 12, you are now seeing the transition, you guys. At the very end, right? If you go back to the end of Revelation 11, the end of Revelation 11, really there's this, uh, the, the, remember the woes we talked about? The first woe, the second woe, and then the third woe, Kevin, ushered in the seventh angel blowing the trumpet, correct? So you have the seventh uh, angel, seventh trumpet blowing, 24 elders are in, the, in this whole presence. And, and basically you're going to see a whole new wave of things take place and they're called the seven bowls. Just when you thought We went through seven seals. We went through seven trumpets. And now you're going to begin to go through seven bowls. It's almost like this, Kevin, it's this ongoing process of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And again, one of the things I want to just say theologically, some people will look at this uh, suggested timeline, and they have all three of these, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. Right, Kevin? They have them all together. They have them all together, and they're just literally like this, and they're on top of each other. And so you could say, well, Kyle, I don't agree with how it's broken up. Look, there's a lot of things that you might not agree with in this context. 
Because the beauty of this is, is nobody agrees right now in this whole thing. <laughs> and so when we get into Revelation 12, okay, the seventh trumpet has already blasted, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Tom, what, what instrument did you play growing up? Tuba. Did you ever play the trumpet? I attempted. What happened? Uh, I'm not that good at it. <laughs> Kevin or Sean, you guys ever? Played the trumpet. You did? You played the trumpet? First chair. <clears throat> Ooh, first chair. Well, Kevin, you played what? Trombone. I'm just kind of like, I don't know, maybe, you know, we're not worthy to open up the seals. Most of us can't blow trumpets. So let's talk about bulls. <laughs> These are the images, you guys, that we have. Revelation 12. It says this first one, and get ready. This is very detailed and very visually graphic. A great sign appeared in heaven. Okay, now when we say heaven, we actually mean the quote-unquote third heaven. Remember, first, second heaven, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. Okay, we're not talking about heaven here on earth. We're not talking about the stars and the moons and the atmosphere there. We're talking about literally in the presence of the Lord. And it says, a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, I want to say this. You should see in the course of the book of Revelation from now until, uh, until the end, there's seven signs. Okay, so earlier on we talked about seven blessings, right? The Beatitudes. So, Kevin, I, I, let's just, why not? <laughs> I was going to say, of course it would be seven. Seven signs. Let's just write it on there, right? You know, so there's seven signs. Interesting, these seven signs, these aren't like the seven miracles in the Gospel of John that we know they're all of the Lord. These seven signs that you're going to begin to see are both divine and demonic at times. Sometimes they're clearly of the Lord. Sometimes it's the Lord allowing the, the demonic to, to function. Does that make sense? So it's not always like this, praise God. Oh man, these are amazing. Sometimes you're going to see a little bit of both stepping into the case. Now, when you see this one in verse one, a great sign appeared in heaven. Here we go again. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. And cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. All right. So the visual of Revelation 12. <laughs> I love this. Like, I love this. Like some people are like, what in the world's a pregnant lady talking about, right? Now, who is this woman? This woman that's clothed, a couple people would say, you know, right away, uh, if you believe in replacement theology. Okay. If you believe that uh, the church has replaced Israel not everybody with this camp, but many people would say this is the church. Now, do I believe that? I don't. I don't believe that that supports the case. I'm just telling you guys different views. Some say it's the church. Some say it's believing Jews. Only those that believe in the Messiah. Some would say that's the pregnant lady. Okay. Some would say it is the ethnic Jews. Okay. Does that make sense? You see the distinction here when I say believing Jews. Uh, those are those that believe in Jesus or the ethnic Jews, just the Jews at large. Okay. <laughs> Pregnant. Get it. Okay. So anyway, as we're walking, <laughs> this is, that's my bad revelation humor because this is a lot here. All right. So there's other pictures in scripture of, of women. Okay. And I just kind of want to walk through this process. Uh, I do believe that, let me just say this. I do believe this is a, a representation of Israel. Okay, I do believe that the woman is a representation of Israel. I mean, how many times, you guys, in the Old Testament is Israel viewed as the wife of God? Right? An example would be Kevin, Isaiah 54, 5 and 6. Okay, so simply we just want to build a scenario. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6, major prophet language. Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is Yahweh of hosts, and the, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all of the earth, verse 6. 
For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and a wounded in spirit, a wife of one's youth when she is rejected. So Israel is viewed, Kevin, this is not weird language, uh, as the wife, as a woman. Another language is Jeremiah 3, 6, 7, and 8. Jeremiah 3, 6, 7, and 8. Again, just a simple illustration. In the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? She's ascended every hill high and gone under every green tree to prostitute herself there. I thought after she's done all these things, she'll return to me. But she didn't return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Verse 8, I observed that it was because unfaithful Israel had committed adultery. Now, let me just say this. If you're an unfaithful person committing adultery, it means you're the wife. (laughs) Does that make sense? It means you're already connected. That I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Nevertheless, her treacherous sister Judah was not afraid, but also went and prostituted herself. There's this language that Israel is the wife of God. We're talking symbolically. Right. Like we're talking about this picture of Israel married to uh, God. Now, just some other images of women. Uh, crazy enough in Revelation. Can you go to Revelation 2 verse 20 for me, Kevin? So this isn't going to be new language actually in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2 20, it says, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So. I'm bringing this up because if you're asking, who is this woman? Is there any other language in the book of Revelation that it could be? I don't believe that it's Jezebel, but I just want to bring this up. Uh, Kevin, if you go to Revelation 17, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Revelation 17, 3, 4, 5, and 6, it says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. I'd rather marry Israel. (laughs) Right. Then this one, the woman was dressed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a cup, gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and the impurities of her prostitution. And then on the forehead, it begins to describe this is crazy. This woman, Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and the vile things of the earth. Um, I don't think this is the woman either. But I'm bringing this up because of illustrations. You're going to see language of the beast that's describing the Antichrist multiple times throughout Revelation. You're going to see angels, multiple languages of angels. And you have to decide and discern based on the word of God. Who is he talking about? And so I'm trying to show you a bigger picture of the book of Revelation. When John is seeing things and he's writing them down, like where and who is he talking about? And then finally, this is an interesting one. Revelation 19.7. Revelation 19.7 is this. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. Now, Kevin, we're talking about the body of Christ. So I'm giving you different pictures of the woman. The one that we're talking about that I believe is in verse 1 of Revelation 12. And then it jumps into verse 2. It says she's pregnant, cried out in labor, and is in agony and is about to give birth. I believe is clearly about Israel. Kevin, is that pretty clear as far as where we're at, as far as different pictures? But again, I want to present the case that this is what people would talk about. And then it says, then another sign. So this is the second sign. First sign is a pregnant lady, right? That's really what it is. It's a pregnant lady in agony. And here's what you have to understand. This is so cool. She's about to give birth. Prophetically, she hasn't yet, according to Revelation 12, 1 and 2, right? About to give birth. Now, in this process of, think about this, a pregnancy, Enter in, quote unquote, bad person. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads 
were seven diadems. All right, so you've got a big red dra- a dragon, right? He's got seven creepy heads. Kevin, let's go there. And ten horns. This is so creepy. And it looks like it's Rudolph, by the way. Rudolph the Red Nose. So you've got seven heads. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> seven heads. And it has ten horns. And on his heads, right, were seven diadems. Kevin, did you, is this a, did Mindy paint this? I don't think so. Okay, I didn't think so either. All right, so now watch this. This creature, quote unquote, this fiery red dragon is the mortal enemy of the pregnant lady. Okay, so you have pregnant lady. I can't believe I'm even talking like that. You have pregnant lady, hasn't had birth yet, given birth, and you have a dragon. Second sign. Huh? Second sign. Yeah, second sign. Thanks, Kevin. That's the first sign. That's the second sign. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, whatever. All right, so you have the second sign, right? Now, watch this whole purpose, okay? So then here's what you have. Verse 4, it says, his, t- his tail, the dragon, seven heads, swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. Okay, Kevin, a third of the stars in heaven were hurled away to earth, okay, by what? The dragon's tail. The dragon caused the third of them, okay, to then what? To actually go uh, and to fall. Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 14, verse 12? Okay, the whole purpose of this dragon is to devour the child. Isaiah 14, 12 says, Shining morning star, how have you fallen from the heavens? You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. So here's this image, okay, of this star falling to the ground. Sounds very similar to this language, right? Of this star falling from heaven to earth. And then it what? That, and that person then was what? Given the key, or that angel, or that demonic person, Satan, was given the key to open up the abyss where then all of them were released, right? I believe part of all of those released are the third. They're the third of the angels that are fallen. So fallen angels, you ready for this? Are demons. Fallen angels, another word for fallen angels is demons. So what it feels like, you guys, and what we see in scripture is that Satan, in his pride, tried to become God himself. That's what it says even in Isaiah. And then in the process, a third of the angels, which is why Revelation 12, 4 says, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven. There's a possibility that these Fallen angels have now literally been hurled to the earth, right? And so along with Satan, along with his demons, Kevin, their whole point is to destroy the pregnant lady. Their whole goal is to destroy the pregnant lady. And if they can't get after that, devour the kid. That's the objective. That's why when you look at Genesis, Mindy's original painting, and you look at what you see with uh, Mindy's painting in Revelation, this is literally trying to restore what was done back in the garden. That's the beautiful picture of all this whole thing. So this sign... In reality, is now your timeline, you're going back to the garden. Man, we're going back to the garden. It's Genesis 3, verse 15. And so it's an incredible picture of the beginning and the end. Genesis 3, 15, we're talking about the tension between man and, and the enemy. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now watch this. And between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, Satan is going to attempt to come after the woman. Why? Because she's carrying the seed, which is Christ. But praise God, Christ will win. 
Christ always wins. But there's going to be a battle consistently, even until the end of Revelation. And that's what you're going to see. The dragon, the seven-headed monster, right? This craziness going after the pregnant lady. Now, look, we could really unpack uh, all of the seven and the ten and the sevens. I mean, there's a lot of language here. Some people have said, well, is it the seven nations? Is it the ten rulers that the Antichrist is going to rule? But there's going to start off with ten and it's going to become seven, right? They're going to minimize the seven. And then eventually, though, the Antichrist is still going to be in charge of those rulers. There's lots of different language here. Okay, there's lots of languages that the ten horns could be, you know, the Egypt, the Assyria, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greece, the Romans, and then the final kingdom of the Antichrist. Like these are languages that people can use. The seven mountains could be referred to maybe even the hills of Rome. I'm trying to literally these are different perspectives that people would have, but they could just simply be the seven kingdoms and their kings. Lots of language here to get studied. The reason I bring this up is even Daniel and Daniel two, you guys talks about the seven kings. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time, which I have no problem with, trying to figure out which nations are these. And then which rulers are going to be taking place? I think it's fair to say whatever they are, the Antichrist will be involved with them. (laughs) And the whole goal of the Antichrist is what? Because of an assignment from the dragon. The dragon is Satan. Okay? That's the goal. The dragon is Satan. He's now going to pass this on even to the Antichrist, the beast. We're going to hear this language. You have the dragon and you have the beast. It's kind of weird. And all they want to do is come after the seed, come after the child. She hasn't given birth yet, according to this text. But now watch this, Kevin, in verse 5. But she gave birth to a son, a male who's going to shepherd all nations with an iron rod, an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Kevin, praise God. This is Jesus in human flesh. It's God in human flesh. and His name is Jesus. That's what we see here. Jesus is born to, quote unquote, Israel, right? That's really what makes sense. Mary, an Israelite, that's, that's the image, right? And then this man is the shepherd. I mean, look, think about this language, you guys. As a shepherd, he's going to take care of and shepherd all of the nations, but with an iron rod. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the whole point was Satan was literally waiting to destroy the messianic line, Right? I mean, that's the whole, to destroy the messianic line. That's why he's waiting. But now all of a sudden, verse five, it says too late. The baby was born. And so in verse six, here's what happens. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Kevin, where have we heard that language before? Uh, that's the link that the two witnesses are allowed to share. That's right. So now here's where it gets super interesting. If she is fleeing to the wilderness, okay, we don't have this up on here, but we do know that it's 1,260 days. The question is, where does that fit? Does that fit before the Great Tribulation or does that become part of what, Kevin? The Great Tribulation. That's the question that you have to ask. And this woman that's a representation of Israel is fleeing into the wilderness. Now, look, I love this image of fleeing into the wilderness. Why? Because where does it take us back to? In the wilderness in Exodus, all throughout the Israelites in the Old Testament. What are they doing? God's constantly still taking care of his people in the wilderness, right? That's a great picture. And what? She had a place prepared by God. So God clearly is going to be taking care of, clearly taking care of 
the woman, also known as the Israelites. Now, I do want to say this. When it says her child, back up in verse 5, again, there's so many messianic references here that you could just hang on. But I wanted to say this. When it says her child was caught up to God and to his throne, I do want to say it's an incredible, beautiful picture of his ascension. It's a beautiful picture, you guys, of think about this, that Christ was born and then eventually what? He was caught up to God and is to his throne. So you see the Messiah then actually residing next to the father, right? Next to his throne. So here you have an Acts 1, 9, Acts 2, even in Hebrews talks about the ascension of Jesus. Now it says this, as the woman goes off into the wilderness, okay? (laughs) Here you have in verse 7, an incredible picture of the dragon. So the dragon has lost, correct, Kevin? In that sense, uh, I mean, the baby, the baby escaped. The baby escaped. He was born. Interesting enough, what do we see done after the baby was born? What happens? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy picture. What does Herod try to do? He tries to kill all the babies. He just tries to kill all of the babies, right? So in this process, what did they do? They fled to where? Egypt. To Egypt, to the wilderness. I mean, they had to flee to get out of there, right? That's a cool picture here. And at that point, think about this. At that point, what we're just describing, don't even worry about where does all of that fit. Okay, I'm serious. Don't worry about that right now. I want to just say is that at that point when Satan knew, oh man, it says in verse seven, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which is Satan. So literally, Michael, an angel, the top dog, the top angel, and all the other angels, they fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels, says, also fought. But he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. Who lost, Kevin, right here? Satan. Satan. There's no room for you, Satan. And so what happens? It says this. So the great dragon in verse 9 was thrown out. This dragon now is identified in verse nine as the ancient serpent, which goes back to what? Genesis again. (laughs) The serpent that tried to deceive and did deceive and trick Adam and Eve says the ancient serpent, who's also known as a great dragon, is called the devil and Satan. There's no question about who the great dragon is. The one who deceives the whole world. So not just Adam and Eve, but everybody. And he was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Now, Tom, you and I were talking about this. This is where it gets crazy. What do you mean? Okay, so Satan was thrown out of out of heaven and now he's just playing around on the earth. Right. I mean, that's kind of the imagery that we have. He was thrown to the earth and because you guys know and you understand this. He's literally known as the prince of this age. He's known as the God, the little God of this age, little God of this world. So really what I like what Nelson's commentary says is the world right now is Satan's base of operations. That means he's coming after every single one of us. Now, in verse 10, it says this. Then I heard, okay, in a loud voice, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. They conquered him. Look at this. This is how he's lost by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. Here's what I love about the setbacks. Nelson's commentary says Satan's been set back at least three different times. One of the ways he's set back is by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb has clearly set back Satan. Interesting enough, he also says, though, the testimonies of his witnesses have also set them back. And then I love the third one. It says they didn't love their lives in the face of death. In other words, they were willing to die. They were willing to be martyrs on behalf of their faith in the blood of the Lamb. Does that make sense? They didn't compromise. They clearly did not 
compromise. Therefore, it says, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows he has a short time. So Kevin, (coughs) while he's here on earth, he's going to do anything he can to bring um, uh, steal, kill and destroy. In John 10, that's that's the whole mentality. But if we function through the bed of the lamb, through the testimonies and willing to give up our lives, he can't lose. We Christ can't lose. Satan can never win. Says this, though, it says in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown to earth, look at this, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So, Kevin, naturally, what is the enemy going to do? He's going to attack who? Israel. Israel will constantly be attacked by the enemy. Why? Because back in Genesis, the seed originated from Israel. Why do you think we always see these Iran people, the Iran leadership saying, we're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth because they're trying to take away the seed that's coming from from Israel. If they can prevent you guys from the Messiah coming back, then maybe Satan can have a longer time here on earth. That's the whole goal. But the reality is, is that's not going to happen. But that's the whole goal of the dragon to go after now, no longer the pregnant lady, but the lady with all of the kids. He's going to go after the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's present to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times and a half a time. Woo! <laughs> First three and a half years, we've got the attack. This is the image that you have to have. The second three and a half years. That's what you have to think, you guys. The woman is literally protected from all of this. There's no other way around it. That's clearly what he says. He's giving her an image of two wings of a great eagle. Not literally. They're not necessarily given wings. <laughs> but they're flying away from the enemy's presence for a period of time. And look, and this, this Israelite people, they're fed. They're taken care of for three and a half years while all else hell breaks out. Because of time we got to go from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away and torrent. You have to understand something. Satan, what is he trying to do? He's trying to what? Flood, flood Israelites. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to use water. But here's the crazy thing, you guys. The image of the Israelites, God split the water and they never were devoured by the water. But the enemy is constantly trying to bring up the past and say, we're going to come after you, even with the flood image. And yet at the same time, as this happens, so the dragon was furious with the woman. Did you catch this though? The earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth. You see this? And swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from its mouth. In other words, uh, in other words, it's a crazy picture that even though the enemy tried to do this, the earth literally swallowed up the attack that the enemy was trying to throw on the Israelites. I don't know, maybe even something like Korah and the rebellion. Remember how the Korah and the rebellion, how the earth just swallowed him up? Maybe he's now doing that with the water that the enemy is attempting to bring about. Now, we do know over the course of time, you guys, that the Israelites will die. There will be a people, a group that, that die in the Israelites, but that God is going to spare at least a third of his people. There's a process in all of this. Just know that God is sparing a portion of his people. And it says in verse 17, so the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. In other words, game on against all of the followers of Christ. It's not working with these guys. I'm going to try to go after everybody. Those who kept, who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. And then here's where it gets really interesting. Satan's going to attack both of us, the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And now here you have, he stood on the sand of the sea. Satan was ready for more battle. The dragon is ready for more battle. Where does all of this fit in the timeline? I think it's fair to say at least for three and a half years, God watches over and protects Israelites, right? Why everything else continues to break loose. All right, guys, that's Revelation 12. We'll continue with more of Revelation 13 tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.